Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, the Israelites prepare to meet the Lord. Obedience, preparation, and reverence. Exodus 19. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. Before we get started, I just want to let you know that I do not have the written study online yet for you to purchase, so I will let you know when that happens. Now, last week we talked about how Moses was sitting and judging the people. And when his father-in-law Jethro saw that he was busy with these people from morning to night, he told Moses that this was not a good way to run the country. It wasn't going to work out well. And he advised him to delegate. So the beginning of the court system was set up where there were lower courts and higher courts and any matter that was too difficult for those would be brought to Moses. And this freed Moses to now govern the people more collectively. So this week, God is going to give Moses the laws so that he can deliver those to the people and they will know more what they need to do and how they can obey God so that maybe there are less people coming to the courts for advice. So we're going to begin reading today in Exodus 19, and we're just going to read the first eight verses before we stop and talk about those for a moment. It says, In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai, For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Okay, so it's been three months since the Israelites left Egypt and they have arrived in Mount Sinai. And this is fulfilling the promise that God made to Moses when he called him out of the burning bush to go to Egypt and deliver the people. And at that time, God told him that after the deliverance of the people from Egypt, that he would come back to this same mountain and serve God there. So that has now happened. And as the Israelites are encamping at the foot of the mountain, God calls Moses up to talk with him. 
And this is a subtle difference, but I do think it's uh, important to mention. Notice in verse three, he says, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. And if you notice at the first, he's saying you were just one house, but now you are a nation. I think that's what he's trying to tell him is like, look where you came from. Talk to the house of Jacob and this nation of Israel that I have made them into and tell them this. And then he talks about carrying them out of Egypt, just like an eagle carries her young from the nest on her wings. Just giving this picture of God taking them out whenever they were too helpless to do that for themselves and protecting them until he could get them to safety. And then look at verse five. He says, since I did all these things, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. And so I think what he's saying is, since I have delivered you from this oppressive people and kept you safe, the natural result of that should be your obedience. The people should have been so thankful to God for what he's done for them that they will do anything he asks them to do. And I think it's the same thing for us. I think that because Jesus has delivered us from our sin, our natural reaction should also be obedience. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.15. He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So because Jesus died for us, we should live for him. That's what that says. And so God's saying that to these people now. He's saying, since I delivered you, obey me. And if you will obey me, then you are going to be my treasured possession above all the rest of the people on the earth. All the people on the earth belong to me, but you will be a special nation set apart just for me. And when Moses told the people what God had said, they said, yes, we will obey him. We'll do whatever he says. And so they entered into a covenant with him at that moment. Okay, let's go ahead and read 9 through 15. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went up from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to them, Be ready for the third day, and do not come near your wives. Okay, so since the people have agreed to obey the Lord, now God needs to deliver his laws to them. And so he told Moses to prepare the people to hear his words because he was going to meet with Moses, but he wanted the people to hear him giving the laws so that they would know, one, that Moses isn't the one coming up with these laws, and two, so that they would trust Moses as their leader and always believe in him and listen to him. And so in preparation to meet with the Lord, they had to clean their clothes and not sleep with their wives, so dedicating themselves completely to God. 
the cleaning of the clothes was just an outward sign of the inward cleansing that they were supposed to be doing of their hearts. And also, it was a cleanliness issue about sleeping with their wives, but also just dedicating themselves fully to the Lord and denying the desires of the flesh. So the purpose was for them to set themselves apart completely to God for these two days, making themselves clean and denying all of the earthly things that they might want in order to look to God. And then he also set up strict boundaries at the bottom of this mountain because he was going to meet with Moses in a thick cloud and the people could hear him, but he did not want them to see him. And so if anybody tried to break through the cloud to see God, then they were going to be put to death. Even an animal that touched the mountain would be put to death. And God was doing this preparation time and then this boundaries in order to show the people their uncleanness, their sinfulness and his holiness, and then also to show the seriousness of this meeting with God. And so I just want to ask you before we move on, Is that something that we should do today? Should we prepare ourselves to meet with God? Should we do anything special before we go to church? Should we prepare ourselves before we pray to Him or before we do Bible study? Any way that we can prepare our minds and our hearts beforehand. This is something that I've kind of tried to start doing before I go to church and before I read my Bible Just take a little bit of time on Sunday morning after I get ready to just get my mind right. You know, just spend a little bit of time with God and get focused on Him before I go to church. And also before I read the Bible, just stop, clear my mind of other things and talk with God for a minute and just get focused on Him. It also makes me wonder Are there certain times that are more serious and solemn than other times? You know, is it ever okay to meet with God casually, talk with God casually? Or are we always supposed to come into his presence with this reverence? I think we are supposed to walk and talk with God all day, every day. And I don't think that in every single moment we can be this serious. But I do think there are times for sure that we need to do that before we participate in the Lord's Supper, when we come to God with a repentant attitude. I just do think that there are times that are more serious than others. And I think that God is trying to tell the people that now. And I do think that we always need to honor him and know who he is and what he is capable of, the power that he has. But also we are supposed to be fellowshipping with him all day, every day. So, you know, just some things to think about. Also, I want to talk to you about this boundary, this boundary that he set at the bottom of the mountain. This is a very strict boundary with very serious consequences. So I just want to know what you think about why it is so bad for them to even touch the foot of the mountain. You know, they are a sinful people and he is a holy God. And so they are not supposed to even break through to his presence because they have no business in the presence of this holy God. And so I think that that is why they are not supposed to break through to this mountain, but also just boundaries in general. When the boundaries are set for us, what is the big deal about just stepping one little foot over, you know, just touching that thing right across that line? 
sometimes lines get blurred and we decide that, oh, it's not that big of a deal if we just go to this place instead of this place or whatever. But I think that it is important to set strict boundaries because what happens when you step over the line? For one thing, you're over the line, right? So you're already there. Might as well keep going. Also, just one little foot, you think, eh, that isn't going to hurt. It's just a little blurring of the lines. But usually, once you step over that line, it just puts you into a situation of maybe going a little closer and a little closer until all of a sudden, you're at a place that you never intended to go, right? You're never intending to go that far. And so there has to be a boundary. No matter where the boundary is, a boundary needs to be set before we get to a sinful place. And God will set a lot of those boundaries for the Israelites. Sometimes it is parents that set those boundaries. Sometimes it is authorities that set those boundaries. Sometimes we just need to set boundaries for ourselves because we know that we don't need to go past this one point. But whatever it is, I think it's important to set the boundaries and respect those boundaries because whenever we do not, then it just becomes that much easier to go a little further and a little further until we're in a sinful situation that we had no intention of being in. And I think God knows that. And so he's like, don't even step over the line. You know, we're not even going to allow you one step further than this. It is a very strict boundary. You know, God set these boundaries to protect them because they did not need to be in his presence as a sinful people. And he wanted to make sure that they didn't even get close. No reason to put yourself in that position, right? So I think that's something else that we need to think about is just respecting the boundaries that God for sure sets. And then also the boundaries of the authorities and possible boundaries that we might need to set for ourselves in order to keep ourselves out of simple situations. Okay, let's move on and read 16 through 25. It says, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the Lord answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the gaze of the Lord, and many of them perish. And also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people can't come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountains and consecrate it. And then the Lord said to him, Away, get down, and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest I break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. Okay, so on this third morning, God announced his presence with a bang, right? There was thunder and lightning and God came down in a fire that wrapped the whole mountain in smoke. And the mountain shook with this blast and then the people shook with fear, right? They are totally afraid. 
they quickly saw, yeah, this is definitely a serious meeting. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, calling all the people to the foot of the mountain. Then Moses spoke and God responded to him. And it says that he responded to him in a voice of thunder. The Bible often speaks about God's voice sounding like thunder. I just want to read you a couple of these places, all of them reminding us of God's glory and his majesty and his power. And so the first two are in Job. The first one is in Job 37, and I'm going to read the first six verses. This is Job talking, and he says, At this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He sends it forth under the whole heaven, his lightning to the ends of the earth. After it, a voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice, and he doesn't restrain from them when his voice is heard. God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we can't understand. For he says to the snow, fall on the earth. Likewise, the gentle rain and the heavy rain of his strength. So God's voice also makes Job's heart tremble. And he talks about it just being a rumbling like the thunder and his voice being majestic and how he speaks to the snow and the rain, right? God is doing marvelous things and all of it is just at the command of his voice. Also in Job 46 through 12, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. So this is God talking to Job. And he said, now prepare yourself like a man and I will question you and you will answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Do you have an arm like God or can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. So he's like, are you like me? Can you do these things? If you can, then just make yourself majestic and glorious and cut down the wicked people. But I'm pretty sure that you're not like me. You don't have a thunderous voice and a mighty arm and you cannot do these things. So who are you to talk to me like that? That's basically what God's saying to him. I want to also read Psalm 29. It's a short psalm. I want to read it all to you. It says, Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian, like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says glory. And the Lord sat enthroned at the flood and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people and the Lord will bless his people with peace. So everything happens at the voice of the Lord. 
God's voice carries with it power. And that's why it sounds thunderous, because there is power in his voice. And he is to be honored and revered, right? And so after Moses gets on top of this mountain, God tells him to go back down. And he says, warn the people again strictly about the strict boundary. And Moses said, I mean, they're not going to come up. I already told them not to. And he said, no, you need to warn them of the seriousness. Go tell them again and then bring Aaron up when you come back. And I just want to say real quickly about the priests. He says in verse 24, don't let the priests or the people break through. The Levites have not yet been named the priests of God, and they don't have really a priesthood because they don't really have a nation yet. So most likely what they're talking about is these firstborn men that were dedicated to God. Those would be the priests, the people that had been set aside as God's people, because that's what the Levites later are. So he was just saying, tell the heads of the families, basically, do not come up. And so Moses does. He goes down and he tells the people, for real, don't touch this mountain. And then he gets Aaron and goes back up. And then in chapter 20, God begins to give the Ten Commandments. And we're not going to go over the Ten Commandments today. The first 17 verses list the Ten Commandments. And we'll go over those another day. But know that God delivers the law to Moses in the hearing of the people. And then this is what the people say about this. This is verses 18 to 21. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and lightning flashes and the sounds of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off and Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Okay, so after he's delivered these commandments and the people heard his voice and all of the thunder and lightning and all of that, the people told Moses, hey, we are afraid. We do not want to hear God's voice anymore. It terrifies us. And so you need to be our mediator. You go talk to God and then he will tell you what he wants us to know. And then you will tell us and we will listen. But we don't want to hear his voice directly anymore. It is too terrifying. And then Moses says something interesting. He says. Do not fear. God has come to test you that his fear may be before you so that you won't sin. So first he says, don't be afraid. And then he says, he only did this to test you so that you would be afraid and not sin. So what does this mean? This means innocent people do not need to fear God. You have no reason to be afraid just by hearing his voice. He only is showing you his powerful voice because he wants you to be afraid to sin. But he does not want you afraid of him. If you are an innocent person, then you have no fear of him. The only reason to fear him is if you are doing something wrong or thinking about doing something wrong. He wants you to know his power so that it will be a deterrent to you. This is a difficult balance, right? I mean, it can be at least. And so I want you to think for a moment, have you found this healthy fear of God that deters you from sin, but also doesn't make you afraid just to hear his voice or be near him? You know, sometimes we do, we need to be reminded of the thundering voice that brings this power. 
And we also need to be aware of the consequences of testing as boundaries, right? So for our own goodness. But we also don't need to forget the love that God has for his people and his desire for fellowship and a relationship with us, right? And so I want you to listen to Deuteronomy 6, 24 and 25. This is just before they go into the promised land. And it says, the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes and to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all the commandments before the Lord our God as he's commanded us. So it says he's doing this for our good. He's giving us these laws to protect us. And so we need to be afraid of breaking his laws because we know there will be consequences. But also we're in a different position than the Israelites. Listen to how Paul describes the difference between the Israelites here at Mount Sinai and us now as believers. This is Hebrews twelve eighteen to 29. And it says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire. He's talking, remember, to the Hebrews. And he says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they couldn't endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to the mountain of Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. To God, the judge of all, the spirits of just men were made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and the blood of the sprinkling that speaks better than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised saying, yet once more, I shall not only shake the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of the things that are being made that the things which can't be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which can't be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. And so this first paragraph is talking about this mountain of Sinai that their forefathers approached, this mountain that can actually be touched and that burned with fire and had the voice of God spoken to them that the people were so afraid of. And it says here, even Moses was afraid at this time. But he's contrasting that with our mountain that we get to approach that we can't see. This isn't a mountain that we can touch because it's a heavenly mountain, a mountain that exists in the heavenly places where angels gather. But unlike the Israelites who could only approach God, we can live in his presence. 
because we have a mediator that can grant us access that Moses couldn't grant. Jesus is able to do that. You see, they were too afraid to go near God because they knew that their outward cleansing and the animal sacrifices were not enough to completely pay for their sins. And the blood of Jesus is. The blood of Abel cried out for revenge, but Jesus's blood brings redemption. And so because he is our mediator and he is more sufficient than Moses is, then he can bring us all the way to the throne of grace, not just to the foot of the mountain. We don't have to be afraid to approach God like the Israelites were because the Bible says that we can enter his presence with confidence because we know that we are clean in the eyes of God and that our debt's been paid. They didn't have that because they didn't have Jesus. I want you to listen to several verses. The first one is found in 2 Timothy 1.7 and it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of sound mind. So we're not supposed to be constantly afraid. We're supposed to feel love and peace and power. There's no need to feel terrified in his presence or be in constant fear. We just need to do what we're supposed to do, but we don't need to be afraid of God. God wants us to approach him. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Because Jesus died in our place, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and we can get mercy from God because of that. Listen to what it says in Romans 5, 8 through 11. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by Jesus's life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive the reconciliation. So because God loves us so much and sent Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners, we have been saved from the wrath of God. We have no need to be afraid of his wrath like the Israelites were because of Jesus, because we've been reconciled to God through the death of Jesus. He sets everything right. Jesus pays our debt. So when God looks at us, he sees a righteous person, a clean person, because Jesus took our sins upon him and gave us his righteousness. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So this tells us completely that Jesus is our mediator and he ransomed our souls. So we have no need to be afraid of the wrath of God now. Next verse, Hebrews 8, 7 to 13. This explains the difference between us and the Israelites. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, 
not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they didn't continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that, he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So this is a new covenant. The covenant that Jesus has made with his people now that he didn't make with the Israelites before. God says he's now going to write the laws in our hearts and in our minds and he will be our God and we will be his people. He's going to be merciful to the unrighteous and remember their lawless deeds no more. But then look back at this Hebrews 12 verse where it says those that refuse him won't escape. So yes, we get to have this new covenant through Jesus, but only if we don't refuse his voice. If the Israelites couldn't escape the consequences that were being spoken to them on the earth, then we will not escape the consequences of refusing the one that speaks to us from heaven about our reconciliation through Jesus. In order for us to not be bound by the law of Moses and receive mercy, then we have to draw near to God. We're not like the Israelites that were afraid and only had to stand at the foot of the mountain. Through Jesus, we receive access to the Father and we can't refuse him. We must draw near to him. Listen to what it says in James 4, 7 and 8. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So we have to draw near to God, and God will draw near to us. He asks that of us. And then notice the end of this Hebrews 12 passage. It says that God shook the earth when he came down in the fire at Mount Sinai, but he's going to shake it one more time. And this time when he shakes it, everything that he's created will be shaken up. And the only things that will remain are the invisible, eternal things. And that is the kingdom that we are going to inherit as believers. It's the one that can't be shaken because even though it can't be seen, it is permanent and it is eternal. And so just as the Israelites were so thankful to God for their deliverance that they obeyed and they feared him, then we also should be so thankful for our new inheritance that we offer our worship and our reverence and our awe to God. He revealed himself in the fire at Mount Sinai and he wants to consume us now so that we can live in his presence eternally in this eternal home that he has prepared for us. Now, I want to read you a little bit about this new heaven and new earth since we talked about it. This is found in Revelation 21, and we're just going to read the first eight verses. Now, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. 
God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, because the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes will inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So again, very loud voice speaking. Again, the inheritance that we receive for believing in him or the punishment that we receive for rejecting him. All of that written here. We will inherit this new wonderful heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We will be able to be in God's presence where the Israelites were not. One more verse I want to read to you. This is Psalm 125, and it's just the first two verses. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which can't be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. So this Mount Zion will never be able to be moved, and it lasts forever because God surrounds his people. We now have ability to be in his presence in a way that the Israelites never did because they didn't have a complete covering for their sin. So remember the things that we've learned today. Maybe take some steps to prepare yourself before you enter into God's presence and then seek that balance of godly fear that deters you from sin, but also reminding yourself of his mercy and his love that draws us into his presence and the ability that we have now to eventually be in his presence permanently because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The law no longer has power over us as it did on those in Mount Sinai. So take comfort in that. We will discuss the laws in a later lesson. I just wanted to talk about this reverence for God and the incident that happened all at once before we got into the laws. So I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Leave me a five-star review. You can also leave comments. If you would like to email me, my email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Thanks and have a good day.